0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. John chapter 15 is where we will be. I'm going to read in verses 4 and verse 5. And then we'll dive into it. John chapter 15, verse 4 and verse 5. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. I want to read that last verse again. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and that word abide means to remain in or to stay connected to, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Question I want to consider this morning as we get started is this How do you know where you are abiding? That's an important question that each of us need to answer today because make no mistake about it, every person in this room, no matter who you are or where you come from, is abiding in or connecting to someone or something in hopes that that thing will give you life. So where are you abiding? How can you know? Well, one of the ways that we can answer this question, I think one of the best assessments that we can take of our life to find out where we are abiding is to simply look at the fruit that is coming out of your life. If you are, for example, in this room today, and you are experiencing patterns of worry and anxiety, jealousy, envy, or bitterness, it is safe to say that according to the Scriptures, that you are not abiding in Christ. For according to the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit... The fruit of someone who is abiding in the vine in Jesus Christ is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is the fruit that flows from the life of one who is abiding in Christ just as in the words of Jesus a branch abides in the vine. And because that is true, the question that I think we all should be asking this morning is, how then do I learn to abide in Christ? How is it that I can, in the midst of the busyness and the chaos of life, stay connected to the vine so that no matter what is going on in my life, rather than producing the fruit of the flesh, I can produce the fruit of the Spirit and therefore experience the life that God has created me to experience day in and day out. And to answer that question, I think it's important to remember the metaphor that I used last week, that our life with God is like sailing. And I said that last week knowing that most of us in here have never gone sailing. But it's like sailing in that when it comes to our life with God, just like sailing, because you cannot do the most important thing, which is to create the wind that will push you forward, you have to be dependent on a force outside of yourself if you actually want to make progress. And yet, though you cannot do the most important thing, it it doesn't mean there is nothing left to do. Because though, when it comes to the Christian life, though you cannot create the wind, which is God's Holy Spirit, though you cannot control the wind, you can learn how to catch the wind. But in order to catch the wind, we have to draw the sail. And in order to draw the sail, there are certain disciplines that you have to learn and put into practice if you actually want to move forward and make progress and bear the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about in John 15. So with that being said, the question this morning is what exactly are these disciplines that I need to learn? What are the disciplines, what are the practices that I need to learn so that I can catch God's empowering presence? Or in the words of Jesus, more simply put, how can we actually abide in the vine? And before I answer that question, I want to say something. The disciplines that I am about to share with you to help you learn how to draw the cell are nothing new. In fact, what I'm about to share with you is something that has been around for thousands of years. So there is nothing new in and of itself in the content that I'm about to share with you. But here's what is new. What is new is that we currently live in a generation where people believe the things that I'm about to share with you are no longer needed in your own life. For thousands of years, the things I'm about to share with you, for thousands of years, Christians throughout church history have seen the things that I'm about to share with you as absolutely essential for the sake of abiding in the vine. But what is new is now, for whatever reason, we have begun to believe that we are the exception to the rule and the fact that what I'm about to share isn't actually something that we need to apply to our own lives if we're going to be healthy. Um. I think about a couple years ago, I went to the doctor and I found out that I have a gluten allergy. And what I was told by the medical doctor at this time is that if I do not cut certain things out of my life and put new things into my life, if I do not practice some certain sets of disciplines they were given me, then I would in fact experience some negative consequences in my own health. However, because at that time I was not experiencing any negative symptoms, And because I wasn't really sure if this whole gluten deal was really just kind of like, you know, a conspiracy, I decided to kind of continue to live however I want, eating whatever I want, whenever I want. And I did that all the way up until about a few months ago, and that is in August, all of a sudden one day I woke up and I had this rash on my face that eventually began to spread to my arms and my legs, the bottoms of my feet, and to the tips of my fingers. And doing what anybody who wants to multiply their anxiety would do, I went to WebMD. And I decided to Google my symptoms to see exactly what it is that is going on. And of course, if you've ever been to WebMD and you Google your symptoms, you can have the common cold, but what's it going to tell you? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You've all been there, right? And so I was convinced I was going to die. It was either leprosy or leukemia. I wasn't sure which one it was. <laughs> And so I decided to schedule an appointment with a doctor. And to make a long story short, the doctor, after running a series of tests, he came into the room and he said, "Um, yeah, clearly there's something going on with you. And my best guess, based off of what I've done, the testing and research I've done, is you have a gluten allergy. He then went on to tell me something that I'd already heard. He basically explained to me what a gluten allergy is and how I need to restrict my diet, add disciplines into my life if I'm going to experience a healthy life. And here's the thing. After I left there, guess what? Since that day, I've cut gluten out of my life. Now, here's what's interesting. On the day that I decided to cut gluten out of my life, I didn't receive any new information. The doctor told me something that I had heard over and over again, and yet it wasn't until the consequences of my life got so bad that I finally realized I probably better apply what I've been taught. And a lot of that, listen, I share all that to say this. What I'm about to share with you is something you've heard before. You've heard it before. But for many of us, it's going in one ear and out the other. My hope is today that rather than you waiting for the symptoms to get so bad or the fruit of your life to get so bad, that you will finally today take the things that we are about to share, you'll take them seriously, and you'll apply them to your life, and you will begin over time to experience the life that God has created you to experience. Does that make sense? So with that in mind, here are four practices or disciplines, and these are in no way all of the disciplines and practices throughout church history. They're just, I think, four of the best that will help us draw the cell of our lives so that we can catch God's empowering presence. Or again, in the words of Jesus in John 15, these are four things that we can do to help us abide in the vine so that we can bear much fruit. And the first thing I would say is this. If you want to draw the sail, if you want to abide in the vine, the first discipline that I'd say you need to apply to your life is the discipline of meditation. Meditation. In Psalm chapter 1, the psalmist says, Blessed is the one, or happy is the one, who meditates on God's word day and night. That word, meditate in the Hebrew, can also be translated as to growl. It is why, for example, in Isaiah 31.4, the prophet says, As a lion growls over his prey, uh, that word that is used there for growl is the same Hebrew word used in Psalm 1 for Meditate. And because of this, Eugene Peterson in his commentary on Psalm 1 says, If you want to know how to meditate, you simply need to look at what a dog does with a bone. In that, if you think about a dog with a bone, what does it do? It kicks the bone around, it pounces on it, eventually it gets the bone inside of its mouth and it begins to growl and gnaw and chew on it until eventually the thing dissolves in its mouth and goes into its bloodstream. That is a picture of what meditation really is. It's literally, in the words of the angel to John in the book of Revelation, to eat this book. It is to wrestle with and to chew on God's promises over and over and over until the truths begin to settle into your bloodstream and nourish your own soul. Which, by the way, always takes longer than you think it does. I think about my golf game, which some of you can attest to is awful. Um, Golf is the most frustrating sport in the world because literally you get this little white ball and you set it on a tee and it just stares at you and taunts you as you try to hit it with this big club. And the thing about golf is um, when I've gone, I usually will hit about one good ball out of 200. And it's that one ball that keeps you coming back. At that one time where you hit it and it just goes, I don't know, 250, I don't know how far my balls go. 250 yards, isn't about right, Kenny? 250 yards right down the fairway and you think to yourself in that moment, wow, I could be a professional. Like I'm amazing, like I'm better than Chuck, you know? And Chuck's been playing his whole life, you know? It's just that one shot, right? That's the thing you go home and you tell your wife about. That's the one shot that brings you back, right? Not the other 199 where literally... You try to hit this golf ball as hard as you can, and it goes five feet, right? Getting you nicknames from Kenny and Chuck and, and Adam. And I don't want to repeat here, because I think they're insulting to my own life. <laughs> and so y- you look at it, and you think, like, man, like... like I feel like every time I should be absolutely just knocking it right down the middle, and yet so many times that's not what the experience is like. And I think, man, honestly, like that is a great depiction of what reading the scriptures and meditating it on really looks like. Every once in a while, guess what? You will open up this Bible and wow, it's amazing. I feel like I've been ushered in, in, in right into heaven, into God's own presence. But then there are a lot of times where you will read this Bible and you will sit there and you will scratch your head and you will say, why is it not going 250 yards right in the middle of the fairway again? You will look at it and you will think, "Like, why is it not working the way that it should be working? And listen, that is because when you read the Scripture, what you need to know is getting this stuff inside of you takes a lot longer than you think that it actually does. So you'll have to wrestle with it. You'll have to, to chew on it. But as you do that, right, it is a means of how we draw the sail to catch God's empowering presence. It is an absolute essential in the Christian life. Secondly, if you want to draw the sail, not only do you need to be someone who meditates, you need to be someone who persists in prayer. Which I know in an overly busy, distracted culture like ours, where prayer seems to be so ineffective and absolutely mysterious, this is not easy to do. But in the words of Paul Miller, prayer is a conversation where your life and your God meet. It is where you and I have the privilege of communing with the creator of the universe and allowing our hearts and our minds and our souls and our desires and our longings to be aligned with his. See, the greatest thing about our union with Christ is that it gives us communion with God. It brings us into a position where rather than talking about God, we actually get to talk to God. And that's really what prayer is. Prayer is just talking to God. If meditation, if reading the Bible is listening to God, prayer is us talking to God. And as you know, in any relationship for it to thrive, there has to be talking and there has to be listening. The same goes if we want our relationship with God to thrive. And listen, guys, this is what God is after more than anything else. What you need to hear today is Christianity is not primarily about rules. Christianity is primarily about a relationship with the God of the universe who has gone through great extremes to take you from being his own enemy to being his beloved child. And what's incredible is, according to the Scripture, our God, like any loving father who longs to hear from his children, is a loving father who longs to hear from his own children. He longs to hear from you. He loves to hear from you. And because he is a good father who, according to Jesus loves to give good gifts to those who ask. You can know that when you go and you ask God for gifts, if it is a good gift, God will give it to you. And the great news is he will always give you his greatest gift, which is his very own empowering presence. The thing you need to continue to move, to abide, to bear much fruit in your life. So we need meditation. We need prayer. Third, if we want to draw the sail in our lives, we also need public worship. We need public worship, like we're doing right here, right now. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, the writer says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. In the Garden of Eden, after creating the universe, God rested on the seventh day. You ever asked yourself, why did God rest on the seventh day? Was he tired? No, God doesn't get tired. The reason that God rested on the seventh day was to model for His creation a rhythm that needs to be sewn into the fabric of His creation where every seven days you and I just rest and remember who we are in light of who God is and what He's done for us in Christ. And one of the ways that we do that is by coming here every single week and rehearsing the gospel. That is why every single week, I would encourage you guys to block this time out in your week. I think this is the most important meeting you can have all week long. So you need to block it out. You need to actually make the Sunday morning gathering a priority every single week. And the busier you are and the more chaotic your life is, the more that you need this. We need to come here every week and not for the purpose of evaluating the music or seeing, okay, is the teaching very good and is this church compared to that church down the street and which one is better, but for the purpose of showing up here with an open posture, expecting to hear from God and know that through these ordinary means like teaching and singing and then communion, that God will use these ordinary things in extraordinary ways. Because listen, as we all know, we've talked about a lot, every time we do something, it does something to us. And when we come here and we do these things, even if you're not feeling it, it is doing something to you. It is shaping you. It is rewiring you. And over time, what it is doing is literally transforming you more into the man or the woman that you long to be, not just here on Sunday, but in Monday through Saturday as well. It's important that we come to things like this. If we want to draw the cell, we need meditation, we need prayer, we need public worship. We also need to engage in community, we need community. We need community. We don't just need to come and be an audience on Sunday mornings and a face in the crowd. We need to plug in with other brothers and sisters in the faith and do life together. In 1 Corinthians 12, 24, the Apostle Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. I want you to think about that for a second. Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. Now, let me ask you in light of that, How can you abide in Christ if you do not abide in the body of Christ? How can you abide in Christ if you do not abide in the body of Christ? Meaning, listen, if you want to live up to your created potential, you need to realize you are a member of a body. And to think that you can live up to your creative potential apart from staying connected to this body is like saying that a hand can live up to its creative potential without an arm. It's like saying that an ear can live up to its creative potential about being attached to the head. Guys, it makes no sense. It makes perfect sense in American Christianity. It makes no sense in biblical Christianity. If you want to grow, you need to understand there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We need community. This is why Ronald Roheiser says this, part of the very essence of Christianity is to be together in a concrete community with all the real human faults that are there and all the tensions that this will bring us. Spirituality for a Christian, he goes on to say, can never be an individualistic quest where we pursue God outside of community, family, and the church. You see, because we are all so prone to doubt and drift, because we, in the words of Pete Cazero, all have a shadow side, in other words, a broken part of us that we don't even realize is broken because we don't see it in ourselves. Kind of like someone who's got something stuck in their teeth, right? And they don't know. The person across from them knows. The same is true in our own lives, and that is why we need community. We need people around us who not only see the blind spots in our lives but have the courage to actually speak up and tell us the truth. In love. We need this. In Hebrews 3, chapter chapter 3, verse 14, the writer says, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Let me just ask you, when is the last time you exhorted someone in your missional community? When is the last time that you've encouraged a brother or sister in the faith? When is the last time you've done this every day? Ever? Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, Why? So that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I love that the writer of Hebrews here assumes that if we are not going to drift, that if we are going to abide in the vine, we need to be in community where we are encouraging others and be encouraged on a daily basis. And the way that this happens in our church, just so you know, is through missional communities. It's why we encourage you all the time, get involved in a missional community. It's why when we started the church, rather than just starting with a Sunday gathering like this, we started with one missional community. Because we wanted to make sure we had the structures in place that if for some reason you do come here and you want to plug into a community, we have a home for you to plug into, where you can know others and be known. Another place for this is not just in missional communities, which is groups of 15 to 20 people who are learning to live as a family of missionary servants, but also in the context of fight clubs. We're in context of three to four men or women who are diving deep in the scriptures to try to apply the gospel to the everyday stuff of life. And as in these fight clubs, I just want to encourage you guys, by the way, it's not a place where we just come and listen with a sympathetic ear, as great as that is, but it's a place where we come and, again, we speak the truth in love. This is what we need if we are going to draw the sail, guys, and catch God's empowering presence in our lives. We need meditation, we need prayer, we need public worship, and we need community. These are the means to abiding in the vine. So, that's my profound advice. If you want to abide in the vine, if you want to bear much fruit, keep meditating. Keep praying. Keep showing up on Sunday mornings. And get involved in community. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Tried it. I've tried that. I've heard that sermon before. That doesn't work. Doesn't work. If that's where you are, and that's what you're thinking, glad that you're here, let me encourage you before we close, if I can draw from a sailing metaphor once more, to consider the nautical term, the doldrums. Maybe some of you have heard of that term before, the doldrums. A lot of times we use that to talk about if we feel stagnant or depressed. You know, People say, oh, I just feel like I'm in the doldrums right now. But this is actually a nautical term. Every sailor is familiar with it because it's a term that refers to a place near the equator where you can be sailing and suddenly the wind will die down, leaving the boat stagnant for a period of time. And the reason it's so important to consider the doldrums is, listen, just as experienced sailors know to expect the doldrums in sailing, so must those who want to grow in God's grace must expect the doldrums when it comes to your own spiritual journey. Because it is through the doldrums, listen to me, it is through the doldrums that we are protected from the dangerous temptation of enthroning our experience of Jesus over the real Jesus. And here's what I mean by that, stay with me. If you always get a spiritual high or a surge of energy every time you draw the cell, every time you show up here on Sunday mornings, it's always a home run, every time you read the Bible, every time you pray, every time you get in community, if it's just amazing every single time, do you know what will happen? You will be tempted to make a shift from pursuing Jesus to just pursuing your own instant gratification to pursue an experience that maybe Jesus can give you rather than pursuing Jesus himself. And because God knows this is true, and because he knows that he alone can fulfill the deepest longings of your heart, because he knows this is a temptation for all of us, listen guys, he will at times allow you, when it comes to your own journey, to enter into the doldrums. Into times, listen, where you will draw the sail and nothing will happen. Times where you'll be doing everything right. You'll show up here, meditate on the God's Word. Ah, as a dog on a bone. Okay, yeah, I got that. Chewing on it. Showing up here regularly on Sunday mornings, reading the Bible, praying, and you will still listen. And you'll still feel stuck. I think about my own life over the last couple months. As my wife could tell you, I wake up every morning and spend about an hour in the Word and in prayer. And I don't say I have to brag. I'm just going to prove a point. Wake up every morning, spend about an hour reading scripture and praying. As my fight club, Chris Rose and Brian Wilkins will tell you, I'm actively involved in a fight club. As my missional community will tell you, I'm actively involved in our missional community. As you all know, I'm here every Sunday morning. And over the last couple months, not only do I not really feel like I've moved forward, in some ways I feel like I've moved backwards. And maybe some of you you can relate to that. And if so, here's here's the temptation. The temptation is to say, something must be wrong with me. Or something must be wrong with God. Or maybe something's wrong with this church or these people, so I need to go somewhere else. That's the temptation. It's to beat up on yourself or God or someone else. But listen, it is in these times, as hard as it is, it is in the doldrums, listen, that you really get a chance to grow. Because it is in the doldrums. You know what happens here in these places? You know what has to happen? You have to learn how to wait on the Lord. You have to learn how to put your hope and your trust in his power rather than believing the lie and being delusional enough to think that you can move the cell forward by blowing on the cell really, really hard. When you're in the doldrums, it teaches you how to become dependent on God, which, guess what? As it turns out, is the one thing that God needs from us the most if we're going to move forward, which is just our own neediness. That's what God needs from you. You want to grow? God needs your neediness. And the doldrums teach you to be needy. In Psalm chapter 1, the psalmist says that when you meditate on God's word and you seek to walk in God's ways, that you are like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season, indicating there are certain seasons where you can do all the right things and you will produce no visible fruit. And anybody who knows anything about horticulture knows this to be true, right? You think about a tree. Every tree has seasons of winter, which we're about to enter into. And what happens in seasons of winter? If you look at the tree, it looks like nothing is happening. It even looks like it's dead. But it is in these seasons far below the surface where no one can see. The roots are forcing themselves down deeper than they've ever been so they can bear more fruit when the spring comes again. And the reason it's so important that we get this today, guys, is the same is true when it comes to your own spiritual journey. Please hear what I'm about to say here. Please hear this. What I'm saying, because this is true, here's what it means. It means that the most important periods of your communion with God will almost certainly be the seasons where you feel like you're getting nothing out of it. Say it another way. The seasons that you grow the most are the seasons that you feel it the least. If you will keep drawing the cell. In the doldrums, It's where Jesus teaches us how to let go of that cherished idol of instant gratification and cling to him who alone can give us the fulfillment that we are longing for. With that being said, my encouragement to you this morning is to not give up on drawing the cell. Even in the doldrums, especially in the doldrums. Because listen to me guys, please hear me. If you quit right now in seasons where you feel at the least, you will not only miss out on the growth that God is wanting to do in your life, but what's really tragic is you will reside your life to a life of mediocrity because you will constantly, like a child, like my own children, you will continue to chase after your own instant gratification rather than the real Jesus whom you were built for, who alone can be the salvation and satisfaction that you desperately need. So the encouragement this morning is do not grow weary. Keep drawing the sail. Now, because I know that is a little bit easier said than done, I want to, in about five minutes, share with you the motivation for how this is possible, to keep drawing the sail, even in the doldrums. And the best motivation I know to give you is this. If you are going to continue to draw the sail, even when it doesn't feel like you are moving forward, if you're going to continue to connect and abide in the vine, even when it doesn't seem like you're bearing fruit, you need to understand today the distinction between your union with Christ and communion with God. Okay, now stay with me. On the one hand, your union with Christ, this is what we've been talking about in this series, the fact that you are in Christ and Christ is in you, this is fixed and it's unalterable. Which means it does not rise and fall based off of how much faith you have or don't have. Put another way, if you are in Christ and he is in you, I can, you can rest assured today that God's love for you is irrevocable and there's nothing that can snatch you from his hand. It's great news. However, though our union with Christ does not change, our communion with God does. Put another way, though God's love for you will never change, your experience of God's love for you can change. And you know that to be true. That's why in John fourteen twenty one Jesus says the following, Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And look at this. If you have a Bible, you might want to go back later and underline this. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see what Jesus just said here? According to Jesus, the way you respond to God does shape your experience of God. According to Jesus, if we trust and obey God, Jesus will literally manifest himself more to you than if you do not trust and obey God. And so what that means is, listen, if you want to know God better, you have to obey God more. And that is why... It is so important that you understand the distinction between your union with Christ and your communion with God. Because if you think these two are the same, you will fall in the trap of thinking that your security of your union, does God really love me, is based on the quality of your communion, on how well you do when it comes to the spiritual disciplines. And as a result, you know what's going to happen? The spiritual disciplines, things like showing up here on Sunday morning, reading your Bible, praying, getting involved in community, you know what it's going to feel like? Just another box to check or a bar to clear and it's going to wear you out. But when you understand the difference between your communion and your union, listen, rather than seeing God as an angry school teacher who wants to scold you every time you fail to complete assignments, you will see God as a loving Father who wants to hold you even when you fall short. And as a result, when you fall, not if you fall, when you fall, Rather than running to God, you will run away from God. If you believe He's the angry school teacher, not the loving Father. And that is why John Owen says the following, that nothing grieves the heart of God more than our hard thoughts about Him. That's a radical statement, but I absolutely am in it and give it a stamp. I, I believe it. What grieves the heart of God the most, please hear me, is not your sin But what grieves the heart of God the most is your bad thoughts about him. Because, listen, when you refuse to believe that God is kind and that he is gracious and that he is forgiving, when you refuse to believe that he actually wants to be with you more than you want to be with him, rather than running to God, you will run away from God. And that is why you need to be reminded every day of your union with Christ. Because when you realize that when you place your trust in Christ, that you are in him and he is in you, what that means in the words of the Jesus Storybook Bible, that God now loves you with an unstopping, never giving up always-and-forever love. And when this truth begins to settle into your heart, you realize there's nothing you can do to change that. As you begin to embrace your union with Christ, then it will fuel your communion with God. Because, listen, when you draw near to God you will realize in that moment you're only drawn near to the one who's already drawn near to you. And who, according to the prophet Zephaniah in Zephaniah 3.17, now rejoices over you with singing. In light of that, as we do every week, we now have another opportunity to draw the sail. We've had singing, we've had teaching from scriptures, we now have communion. And communion is not Fellowship's design, it's Jesus' design. He says that we need this to be reminded of the truth that we just talked about, that God now, if you are in Christ and he is in you, he rejoices over you with singing. And So if you're here today and you've trusted in Christ, we have two stations in the front, two in the back, a gluten-free option for you, in case you don't want a rash to break out in your body like mine. Back there in the back, you can partake of that, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice as a way of tasting tangibly the gospel, being reminded that this is true of us and that we need it to nourish ourselves. If you are here today and you have not trusted in Christ, if you have not repented of your sins and seek to walk and step out in faith towards Him, we would encourage you to do that today. It's the best decision you can make in your life. And if you want more information about how to do that, I'll be in the front. Adam will be here as well. We'd love to talk with you about next steps. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for you as the band comes forward. And let's stay in a posture of worship. Remember again, even if you don't feel this today, this is doing something to us. That's why we engage in this regularly. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for every man, woman, and child who is here today. I pray that you will now do what only you can do through the power of your Spirit, that you will blow into the lives of each man, woman, and child who is here. And that you will conform us more into the image that we were created to be into our true self and we can experience the satisfaction and fulfillment that comes from walking with you. I pray if there's anybody here today who is following rules but does not have a relationship who likes the idea of you but does not walk with you but that'll change today that you will draw them into yourself and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.